This morning's scripture reading will be Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 14. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 14. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in the ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have to put on, and have to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Millie. We are in a portion of Ephesians where the scripture talks about putting off, we're heading into that section where we're putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, if you turn with me there. Millie read a list out of Colossians where there's a list of sins and things that we have to get rid of or the Lord wants us to get rid of. And then as we head into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we, we get another list. Before we get into those things this morning, I'd like to ask you to dream with me. To kind of think about what, what it would be like if there were a group of people that were coming out from their homes and their communities, their, their neighborhoods, and meeting together once or twice a week. And those people were from all way, uh, walks of life. They were some that were fairly wealthy, some that were fairly poor, some that were businessmen, and some were laborers. Some were black and 
Some are white, some are ever other color. Some were well-educated, some didn't have much education at all. Some were from families that um, have been solid and, ra- and there's been grandparents and parents and, and that legacy of, of family life has been passed on down to them and then there's others that have come in with that same group that that's rather unknown to them. Um, grew up without much of a family maybe from broken homes, maybe one dad, um, maybe a mom, maybe being raised by grandparents, but all coming together. Some who have taste in music that would uh, run to uh, the rap. We talked about that a little bit this morning with Felipe. Uh, Some have completely different taste in music. Some of those people would come with Political ideas on one side of the spectrum, others would come with political ideals on the other side of the spectrum. Some would come from marriages, solid marriages. Some would come from not-so-good marriages. Some would be just young children. Some from really good homes and good nourishing mom and dad. And some of those children would come maybe without just maybe one parent, or again, being raised by grandparents, or um, maybe just plain orphans. But they're all coming together once or twice a week into one group. Diverse, different, strange sometimes, different backgrounds, different likes. Some love sports, some can't figure out why the other people love sports. Some people taste the music is one thing, some is another. But the idea of all coming from diverse backgrounds and coming together with only one thing, especially in common, and that's Matthew 6.33. Turn there with me, please, to Matthew 6.33. My grandfather made me memorize this when I was a young child, and I've never forgotten it. Not always lived it, that's for sure, but I've never forgotten the scripture. If you start up about 31, cut into the idea. Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows you need them. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Could you imagine... If there were a group of people meeting once or twice a week and coming together, and every single one of them was living out this truth in their lives, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and having the cares and 
and chores of this world that we need to take care of being second, third, and fourth place in their lives, but first place in their lives was the kingdom of God. The growing in their relationship in knowing God and growing in their relationship with each other because that's what God's kingdom is all about. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Sounds a little bit like what was out of chapter 2 of Acts. When they came together in kind of a similar setting. And what was the result of that? Many came to know Christ. When I was thinking about this, the first thing that came to my mind was joy. Joy would be manifested in that group. Jesus and others and you. You sing it when you were in Sunday school? When you were a little kid? I know you did. Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you. J is for Jesus who has first place. O is for others you meet face to face. Y is for you and all that you do. Put yourself last and spell joy. What, what, that's, what's one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think of everybody living for the kingdom of God. Everybody living for his righteousness. Joy. What else would it look like? Well, I think prayer time. Thought about what would prayer time look like if a group of people came together that living for the kingdom of God was the most important thing in their life. And the struggles they have in their life in that battle of living for Jesus. What would their prayer time look like? Well, I think your prayer time would probably center around confession. It would probably center around asking for strength and power to win the battle of self and self-rule. I think when that group came together on a Sunday morning, it just wouldn't be all happy and joy and I think uh, some of it would be that group, some of that group would come limping in, limping in, have bandages on them because they've been out in a battle that week. The battle of God's way in my life or my way. The big kingdom of God or my little kingdom. And when we put ourselves in that position, when God has placed us in that position in the new kingdom, in the big kingdom, in his kingdom, he doesn't do away all at once with that little kingdom that we live in. There's the kingdom of self, a little kingdom of ours, and there's a battle out there going on every week. I think if, if that was the goal of those people to live in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God and really rage a battle against 
their own little kingdom. They would come together sometimes to church just exhausted. Just exhausted. And groaning and saying, please help me. Please pray for me. My selfishness this, this week was so evident. My desires got in front of the Lord's desires numerous times. I was making decisions that were about me and they weren't about my Lord and they weren't about my neighbor and they weren't about my loved ones. So that's a battle. But, but, but wouldn't that be something? Well, we want that, of course, for ourselves, don't we? We want that for the body of Christ here at Oak Grove. But I think we'd have to admit, and uh, as I go on here, I'll show you what this man has done to me. I, um, apparently, I'm going to maybe meet him down at the Sing Conference, Paul David Tripp. And after I hit him, then I want to thank him um, for this book called A Quest for More. See, what Mr. Tripp has done in this book is he has very succinctly, very clearly, very thoroughly delved into my life and said, here's what big kingdom living looks like. Here's what little kingdom living looks like. And how are you doing with it? Well, okay. <laughs> it's interesting when God has placed us into, when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, how he's placed us into his life, his program to know him, to love him, and to follow him. But we still have the old self. And that's what Mr. Tripp calls the little kingdom. It's a whole lot like the children of Israel when Moses brought them out under God's direction and leadership out of the land of Egypt. And they, were, they had a new king, God represented by Moses as a leader. They were no longer under the kings of Egypt, the Pharaoh. They were brought out into a new thing, a new day, and God was leading them. Even so much that there was a pillar of fire and a cloud, and they were to be supernaturally fed and led by God. What a glorious thing to do. Until... Things get a little tough, a little too much discomfort, a little too many trials. And they actually said they wanted to go back to Egypt, to bondage. <laughs> really? You want to go back to slavery? Why? Why is that so built into us? And I believe because they had to be followers, not leaders. They could no longer be king of their own little life, what they were going to do today, where they were going to go today, what they were going to eat today. God said, I'll tell you where you're going to go, and I'll tell you what, what, what I'm going to feed you. 
today. What you need to do is follow me. Yeah, but where's it leading? What's it happening? What? I can't see the future. This looks very uncertain to me. I, I don't know what this is, but I do know what it is back in Egypt with the, with the leaks and, and, the, and the slavery. I, 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 let's go back there. Because this being led into an unknown, out-of-my-control world is not what I like. Is it so much different? Are we so much different than that today? We still want to be boss. We still want to make the decisions. And God says, let me do that. I have a greater kingdom for you. I have a wonderful kingdom for you. Well, I understood all that. And I've preached all that. But this gentleman came up with a little thing called, well, he, he says that back in World War I, there was a French scientist that was given the job. Um, I wrote his name down here somewhere, Henry somebody. Makes no difference. Maybe, maybe you're a good history buff and you know what he invented for World War I in France to preserve food. You know what he invented? If you looked at the sermon title, you would guess what he invented. He invented shrink wrap. Shrink wrap. I didn't realize it was clear back in World War I. World War I. If I said two, I didn't mean it. World War I. Shrink wrap. To preserve the meat. To keep the air out of it. Sealed up tight to preserve it. And then Paul Tripp has the audacity to to say that sin is like shrink wrap. It shrinks your life, shrinks your heart. I'm still okay with that. That's still your problem, not mine. But then he says, let me give you a few ideas of what shrink-wrapped shrink Christians look like? Well, number one, they're all about the here and now. What's important to them is not the future, not the glories of heaven, but the things of right now, the present, the here and now. The problem with that and there is the here and now, and we do live in it, and God expects us to live in it, but he doesn't expect that to be our focus. He says, think on the things above. I've designed you for eternity. I've designed you to be a person that can live in the here and now, but to be motivated by the future, the glories of heaven, the relationship with Jesus Christ forever, all that he's laid out for us in the, in the glories of heaven. Hmm. Ah, that kind of stuck me a little bit. When I had to think about what's important in my life and what isn't so important, what my mind dwells on and what it doesn't dwell on. Then he said another characteristic of the shrink-wrapped Christian is me and mine. 
the idea of me and mine, taking care of myself, taking care of my family. Well, the Lord knows that we're supposed to do that. But how much energy, how much focus? Just there from Matthew chapter 6, what do you say about that? What do you say about the food? What do you say about the shelter? What do, you, what do you say about those things? He said, the Lord knows you need those things. Quit spending all your time on them. Quit spending all your energy on them. All your planning, all your thinking. Because when you do, you don't have much time and energy for things larger than that. The big picture. What God is doing in this world what he wants to do in this world, what he wants to do through me in this world. I have a hard time going over there sometimes because it keeps getting in the way of my stuff, what I want to do. Shrink-wrapped. It says another quality of a shrink-wrapped Christian is you live for your wants and your needs. Now, obviously, we should take care of our needs. But did, have you ever noticed how needs multiply? <laughs> how your needs list grows? Oh, I really need that. Oh, I, I really need that. Oh, I, I couldn't be happy without that. That is a real need in my life. Really, think about it, Jerry. What do you really need? Not near as much as what I have. This last month and a half, our, freezer qu our refrigerator quit, our washer and dryer quit, our computer went on a fritz, and the printer went down. I know the guy from Lowe's first name basis. He's come by last time because they had to stick the refrigerator back in a really ugly place, tight place, and he said, you know, your range is right out in the open. If that goes next, that's going to be really easy. <laughs> that's not funny, I told him. You know, that's not funny. Uh, I, I, you know what? Things are good and we should enjoy them, but what do we? I looked at the investment of that and thought, you know what? If I, in, if I invested 10% of what I just spent in the last two months, to some needy person, that'd be awesome. It, it is so easy for my needs to multiply and to shrink me into a little kingdom. Paul Tripp likes to say in this book, and I'd recommend it for anybody, I hope we can buy a case of them. He likes to say, sin shrinks you to the shrinks your life to the size of your life. Sin shrinks your life to the size of your life. Sin shrinks your thinking to the size of your thinking. 
And that's not what God saved you for. He saved to get you out of that. To rescue you from the domain of darkness and place you into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he wants you to experience. The living above and beyond the chores of this life. Raised on a farm and, you know, I, I love to play ball and I, I, I love to play, period. And the, the word was always, well, get your chores done first. You got to get your chores done. Oh, stupid cow has to be milked, you know. Pigs have to be fed. Sprinklers have to be changed. Life, chores of life. But, you know, in our spiritual life, there's the same thing. There's chores that we have to do, but we don't have to live for chores. We've got to live for something a little greater than chores. We can live with the vision that God wants to involve us in his program, in his life. He wants us to live above those daily little things. Mr. Tripp says that, Another attribute of shrink-wrapped Christianity is you have your mind on the physical and the material. God has given us many things to enjoy, great things. We live in an area where there's great things to enjoy. There's beauty. There's, there's the mountains. There's the creeks. There's the beautiful flowers there's a you you can look around you and you just you look at god's creation and you say thank you god but if you're not careful you can find your pleasure you can find your joy in his creation and not the creator that's an easy thing to do we are to enjoy it we are to He's given us to, to us for our pleasure, but it can push him out as we seek to enjoy and experience and touch and feel and smell all the wonderful things around us. We can be have a selfish motivation, our little kingdom. And maybe God would like us to look above that and even say, you know what? You need to be in another place. You need to be in a place where you don't have quite so much of that stuff. I remember how that uh, as I went with the mission, how I thought that as we joined the mission that they might want to move me to a city. <laughs> I look back on that and I, I don't think I had a very good attitude about that. With the Lord. Lord, I'll serve you, but not in LA, not in San Francisco. Please, Lord. My little kingdom, my ideas, the things that I think will make me happy, so short sighted about those things. And then the last thing he says about uh, the kingdom, our little kingdom, our little shrink-wrapped kingdom, is that we think about our entitlements and our rights. 
my position, my property, my rights. You know, if you shrink your kingdom too much, Mr. Tripp says this a number of times, a shrunk kingdom like shrink wrap, you think that wrapped around the heart is so tight that there's no room for anything else. And if I let sin shrink my kingdom, then there's not much room for God, and there's certainly not much room for others. And sin does that. It shrinks our kingdom. You have your bulletin. Open it up. I want to show you a diagnosis here that Dr. Holy Spirit left for us by the hands of Elijah. Elijah. The Holy Spirit said you need a new heart. And here are the possible symptoms. You like that? I like that. Yeah, you got it? Yeah, that's pretty tricky. I like that. Here, here are the symptoms. Well, let's, let's go to Ephesians there. Four again, I've turned my page, but uh, let's turn back to it and just look at it here for a second. Because that's what I have written above. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Symptoms. These are symptoms of little kingdom living. Little kingdom living. If I was going to teach on this passage and, and, and have in years past, my approach would have been when it comes to sin, I would have probably taken the route of saying, you know, you need to get rid of anger because it's going to do this and that to you. You need to get rid of greed and malice and slander because it's going to do this to you and it's going to cause you to have bad relationships. So you need to clean up your act because of those reasons. I, I have a little different way of thinking. I have a little different approach in my thinking about sin now. Yes, it needs to be battled and it needs to be done away with. But for the reason that we want to live in the big kingdom, for the reason that it shrinks our kingdom, look at these sins that uh, have been listed here on this uh, diagnosis by the Dr. Holy Spirit. Lying, anger, stealing, bad language, bitterness, wrath, slander. If you look through this little passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and on, you see these things are, we do them, what we think is for our benefit. Why, it, why does a person lie? Because he thinks there'll be a better outcome for the situation that if he lies about it than if he told the truth. We'd have a better outcome. It'll be better for us. But what's it do? It shrinks us. It's like shrink wrap. It, it, it pulls your little kingdom into itself. 
And it doesn't open you up to God's kingdom of, of saying, well, you know what, I need to confess, I need to open up, I, I, need, to, I need to say, you know what, it's my fault. It was my fault. And, and what happens when we do that? We trust, we're trusting God. We're trusting God. And, and you know what? It should be getting easier and easier for us to do that because he knows our heart. He knows our sinful nature. These things have all been forgiven in the first place. Lying, anger, stealing. Bad. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he's forgiven you for all those things and those things in the future. His death and burial and resurrection on the cross was so great that he took care of these things. So now he says, why don't you admit it? <laughs> you're, you're not so good. I, I, I know all those things about you. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so embarrassing I have to confess that I lied. Yeah. Well, quit living for your little kingdom and start living for God's kingdom. Anger. It's so, it's, it is so good to hold on to anger. It, it, it just is. Now, you might not think so, but, but I think so. I get really angry at some things, and I like, I, in fact, I like to lay down at night and think about them, how angry I am at that situation. It's just very entertaining. Huh. It just, it kind of gives me some adrenaline to be mad. And you, for getting in my way, for spoiling what I wanted. Oh, my kingdom. You're fouling up my kingdom. You don't do what I say. You don't respect me. You don't treat me like I should be treated. Whew. God said, you know what? That shrinks your kingdom. That shrinks his kingdom in my life. Build your own. Stealing, yeah, it could be overt or it could be stealing somebody, the, the boss's time or whatever. You go down through this list. Bad language. What is it? What is it? What is it? Huh. Makes me look pretty good. Makes me look like I'm in charge of things. Makes me look like I kind of have a, have a morality all of my own. And you go, yeah. How do you like that little kingdom you're living in? Getting a little tighter and tighter all the time. Bitterness. Oh, I'll tell you what. You know how bitter and angry I can get about politicians? Oh, it does my life so much good to be angry at the crazy people in this world. And I'm sure it really fixes them. What am I doing? What am I doing? That, that's not big kingdom thinking. What's God doing? What's his plan? How does he want to use me in his plan? How does he want me to encourage others in that walk with the Lord? 
Um, I'm going to close in a moment. I, I want to take you to something that was an experience this week. And um, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And while, while we're turning to Romans chapter 8, I want to make sure I say this very clear and plain. There's victory over this stuff. There's victory. God has broken the chains of this stuff, of selfishness, of self-rule, of these sins. We don't have to be under them anymore. How do we get out from under them? We get out from under them by recognizing them for what they are, sin. Our biggest problem is not our overt sins that are listed on a page in front of us. Our biggest problem is the selfishness of our heart, the desire to self-rule, the desire to run my own kingdom, the desire to make everybody fit into my kingdom. That's really the sin of my heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. There is a groaning that should be taking place in our lives. It comes with being saved. It comes with being placed into God's kingdom. There is a natural response to that, or a supernatural response to that, I guess I should say, that there should be a groaning in our lives. The problem is, as I look at my own life, what am I groaning about? Am I groaning about things that are messing up my life, messing up my country, messing up my neighborhood, messing up my family? Am I groaning about those things or am I groaning about what God's trying to do in my life and he doesn't have a very good open reign? He started to work in me, but I should be groaning about the fact that it's not progressing very well. That's a groaning. I should be groaning about the things that God cares about. I, I, I got to thinking this week, I'm, I groan about a lot of things that God could care less about. That's not, he, he, yeah, that's not what I'm worried about. I'll end with this little illustration. Oh, along with all the stuff that uh, quit in our home, all the appliances, I had three cars with broken windshields. 
why do you have three cars? That, never mind that question. <laughs> Two pickups in my car, all cracked windshield. One pickup I just get ready to sell, and I'm going to go down and have a detailed whack, cracked windshield. Well, if your insurance is like mine, it's a deductible. And cracked windshields don't make it. I thought about trying to figure out how to put them all three on one windshield, but uh, that didn't work. So I, so I go down to the place, and I'm sitting there at 10.30 in the morning, and I've already made arrangements. Here's the car. When you get down to the car, I'm going to bring my other pickup. When you get through my other pickup, I'm going to give you the Okay. Oh, well, one's a Buick. <laughs> That's a real expensive windshield. Pickups, ah, they're okay. All right. I'm sitting there. He says, well, I'm painting the inside of my house or inside of the office so you can sit outside. And it was nice, and it was in the shade. And so I sat outside, and I had this book with me, Quest for More. And I heard men's voices rather loud and rather, uh, I knew something was wrong. Something wasn't right. Well, where I was sitting, I could see over to where the stream, actually, that an overflow that runs through Reading goes under the highway and it goes on down. And do you know how much of Reading, uh, <laughs> how far the tunnels are in Reading that the, that the, I don't know what it is, Clough Creek or whatever it is, runs through? There's all kinds of them. You know who lives in those places? Well, 10.30 in the morning, these two guys come out from underneath there, and they are having loud words. I don't know what about. I couldn't hear that. One went one way, and one was about 30, 40 yards from me coming to the left. He had an old blanket or something around him, and he was talking to himself, and walking in that direction and he spun around with his blankie and he spun around made some motions like this and he headed off in the other direction and then he did that same little move again and and then eventually he left that was homeless or a pain in the neck you know what you know what that guy was doing? He was polluting my environment. I was sitting there having the most beautiful time, had my Bible book here explaining the Bible to me. I was sitting in the shade. And that guy just walking, acting like he acts. <laughs> What's the matter with people? What is the matter with people? Yeah, what's the matter with you? Now, I have no idea how I could help that man. I have no idea. I don't, I don't have the foggiest idea how I could help him. I don't know if he would listen to me. I don't know if he would, he would hear a word of encouragement. I don't know if I could pray for him. I don't know if he'd hit me. I, I have no idea as he walked off. But I didn't even pray for him. I didn't even look at him like he was the son of some mother who held him as a baby 
and had great hopes for his life. I didn't see him as a son of some dad that maybe took him fishing, maybe, maybe spent time with him. I didn't look at him that way. Not at all. He was a pain in my life for a few moments until I got to thinking about it. Yeah. What breaks God's heart ought to break mine. God didn't care about those windshields. He said, I'm just going to take a little money out of your budget, and you better figure things out a little better. But there's things that break God's heart. We need to groan for those things, not for our little kingdoms. I don't know what to do with the homeless. I don't know what to do with those that are mentally arranged, deranged, but I could at least pray for them. I could ask them to be lifted out of the captivity of sin and somehow be rescued from the torment of their mind and their heart. Yeah. A shrink-wrapped Christian living in a little kingdom when God wants me to live in a big kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity and the possibility and the reality that we'll eventually know completely that we'll be lifted out of our little kingdom are lifted out of our selfishness, our self-rule, our hurt feelings because people won't live like we want them to live. From our anger, from our greed. Lift us above those things, Lord, now. Help us to know how to do that. Help us to take on one of these things at a time in our lives. To see the victory and Lord, bring us together as a body of believers from every walk of life, young and old, married and unmarried, educated and uneducated, black and white, purple, yellow, whatever color. Bring us together with one thing in mind, and that's to be living for your kingdom and your righteousness and your holiness. Give us the power through your Holy Spirit to, to conquer and give us the encouragement from others to conquer as well. And help us to be an encouragement for others as they come limping and bandaged up into church, into our small studies or whatever it is. Help us, Lord, to have eyes that see their wounds, the wounds that come from them battling their own selfishness. 
the wounds that come from them trying to live in their own kingdom and help them understand that there's a kingdom far greater than their own little kingdom. There's a way to live that's above the chores of life when we fix our eyes on you, Lord, and fix our eyes on your love and your mercy and your grace and fix our eyes on the things above and fix our eyes on what you're trying to do in this world around me and how you want me to be involved in that. Help us to fix our eyes on those things. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen.